0: This message was preached as Pulpit Supply by Jared File. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it is beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. This morning, let's consider the case of Nadab and Abihu. Are you familiar with Nadab and Abihu? Aaron's sons. Uh, Aaron was Moses' brother. He was uh, the first high priest after the giving of the law and his sons were to follow in his steps. And Nadab and Abihu at uh, one point gave, uh, they burned incense, they burned a sacrifice in a way that God had not commanded them to do. And uh, the the King James says that they offered a strange fire. Uh, God had given the rules about how to give Sacrifices, how to burn incense, how to approach Him in worship, and they did it another way, a way that was a man-made worship, and God struck them dead. They thought they were coming to worship the one true God. They had good intentions, but they did it apart from the way that God had revealed, and God struck them dead. Then we consider the case of when they were moving the Ark of the Covenant. Moving the Ark of the Covenant, God had given a command not to touch the Ark of the Covenant. And when the Ark of the Covenant looked like it was about to fall, a priest reached out his hands to protect it from falling, thinking he was doing the right thing, and he touched it and God struck him dead. These things are shocking to us. These things we they they thought they were trying to do the right thing. They thought they were trying to worship God in a way that might be pleasing to him, but they disobeyed the direct commands of God on how to worship him. And God struck them dead. I think the Bible tells us that the things in the Old Testament, those things were written for our instruction. So we ought to know what God's character is like. So we ought to know how we are to relate to God. And those things tell us God takes it seriously how we approach Him. As the Colossians passage said, man-made religion doesn't do anything to be able to to conquer the the lust of the flesh. Man-made religion is still a problem. We come to the New Testament and uh, we see Jesus... Uh, he came to the temple. he cared about worship, he cared how he was supposed to be approached. He saw that the temple was being mistreated, abused. The temple had money changers inside, and they were using it like a marketplace that 's the time we see Jesus getting angry. He turns over the temple he turns over the, the, the uh, money changers' tables he throws them out he, he makes a whip of cords and, and changes them out. We see also in, uh, in Acts, uh, the, the, the early church, they, you know, they, they, um, um, there was Barnabas who had brought a gift from the proceeds of land that he had sold. He laid it at the apostles' feet, and he was praised for that. We turn right around and we see the case of Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira saw what Barnabas did. They thought, well, we'll do that. They sell some land and they only give a part of the proceeds. But apparently, they're saying they're giving it all because Peter tells them that they've lied to the Holy Spirit. They, he says, you know, the land was yours to do with what you wanted and then you lied to the Holy Spirit and God struck them both dead. These things are written for our instruction. They tell us that God takes seriously how He is approached. approached. You can also see the case in um, um, 1 Timothy as uh, Paul lays out the the, uh, qualifications for pastors and for deacons. He follows that up by saying, I'm saying these things to you so that you will know how to conduct yourselves in the house of God. God cares how we approach him in worship. And here in Ecclesiastes, the preacher gives this same warning. Ecclesiastes chapter five begins. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth. Nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it. For he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that you have revealed to us how we are to approach you. Lord, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We pray that you would make us a people who are humble and contrite and who tremble at your word. Father, I pray that you would give me grace as I preach your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. He begins, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. I believe this this tells us this is a passage about worship. How do we approach God? And the preacher warns us we're to guard our steps, we're to come carefully, we're not to come to God willy nilly. However, we feel like it. We're not to come to God through man-made religion. We guard our steps. We come in the way that he's commanded us to come. He then follows up by telling us to draw near is better. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they are doing evil. What is the sacrifice of fools? We can think of Adab, Nadab and Abihu here. Here they were offering a sacrifice they thought was going to be good and yet they were foolish. They were not doing it in the way that God had commanded. Uh, also, though, this is in contrast here in verse one. This is in contrast to drawing near to listen. So I think to draw near to listen is... is uh, the way that we're supposed to approach him being in contrast with to offer the sacrifice of fools, I think this also probably has to do with our communication. We we come to him not just to share how we think and how we feel, but we come to him to listen. We, We come to focus on his word. To hear from God, not to hear from a preacher, but to hear from what he says. I think this has implications for how preaching should be done. Um, I know not everybody follows the same um, style of preaching. Not everybody has the same uh, method. Uh, but I'm an advocate for what's called uh, expository preaching, where you take what is in God's Word and the the meaning of the sermon should be the meaning of the passage. Uh, So many times it's easy in, in 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 a topical message just for the preacher to come up with what he wants to say and then find Bible verses to support what he wants to say. I think... I don't want to be too judgmental, (laughs) but in my estimation, I think that's a form of the sacrifice of fools. He may be saying true things, but is it dependent upon the preacher or is it dependent upon God's word? Where did he get that message? draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools for they do not know that they are doing evil. It is very possible for us to come here to worship the one true and living God, to worship Jesus who died for us and to do so offering a sacrifice of fools. Are we coming here to show off uh, what we know are we coming here so that people see us and 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 um, are we coming just so that we have a good reputation as somebody who comes to church are we coming here to hear from God verse two be not rash with your mouth nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God for God is in heaven And you are on earth; therefore, let your words be few. I think this verse may commend short sermons. (laughs) I, uh, although I think the other times I've preached it, it's run a little bit on the long end. So, I'll, I'll do my best. We're not to be rash with our mouths. We, we are not just to, to come. I don't believe the preacher should just come and just say whatever is just laid on his heart apart from studying the scriptures, studying to see what God is saying and then come and let go of uh, to 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 um, explain and, and share what the scriptures are saying. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your, your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. In my prayer, I mentioned, let us be a people who tremble at God's word. We're not to be hasty at God's word. We're not to be hasty to utter a word before him, but we be, be, be tremble. I mean, being a preacher is a dangerous calling. <laughs> to stand before people week by week and say, this is what the Lord has said. If you're really a person who trembles at God's word, it, 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 ought, to, it ought to be a difficult thing. And it ought to be something that tethers a preacher to the word of God, never to... To go anywhere else. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. He is great. And glorious. He is big. He is sitting in the heavens, watching over everything we do, everything we say. He sees everything. He hears everything that we say. And we are here on earth, this little, insignificant place in, in, in comparison to all of the universe. Let your words be few. I once had a compliment. Um, Someone came, heard me preach for the first time. I I think this is a a great compliment. Uh, Although I don't want to toot my own horn. Um, He said that uh, it it takes a lot of humility to think that God's word has something better to say than you do. (laughs) Um, Preacher needs to let his words be few. God's word has immeasurably more treasures, more beauties than I could ever come up with on my own. For a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. Here he talks about a dream, and oftentimes we think of a dream as something positive. Dream big, follow your dreams. But here it's it's in contrast a fool's voice with many words. This is not a good dream. It's not a nightmare, but it's not a good dream. A dream in the sense of it, it, it is vanity. It's it's there, you think it's real, and then you wake up and it's gone. Um it's a dream it's just meaningless. It's a dream that's what we can come up with on our own. And that's, it comes with much business. Now, and earlier in Ecclesiastes, he talks about, it it is a, it is a, it is a, um, uh, I can't remember the exact word, but it's a troublesome business that God has given man to, to do upon in the short days of his life. I think whenever it says it's a, it comes with much business, it's. It's emphasizing that vanity, that unhappy, that's it, that's the word, unhappy business, and a fool's voice with many words. Then he talks about our honesty, Uh, talks about taking vows. He says, when you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools, Pay what you vow. Now, we look at the New Testament, at the, at the Sermon on the Mount, uh, in the, within the same context of the passage we looked at this morning. Jesus says, don't make a vow. Don't make a vow on, uh, on heaven. Don't make a vow uh, on anything. Just let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Now, this is not in contradiction to what, um, uh, what, the, ecclesia- what the, the preacher is saying. Instead, I think they're complementary. Both of them are emphasizing the same teaching: tell the truth. Jesus is saying, "Let your yes be yes, and let your no be no. Don't hinge everything upon saying this vow so that the people will believe you." And the preacher here is saying, "When you vow a vow to God, don't delay in paying it. Pay it. Pay what you vow." We need to be people of our word. Follow up. When we say we're going to do something, we do it. And I don't think that just applies to, to when we come to worship, but it also applies to how we live our lives on the outside, too. The Bible tells us let everything we do be done to glorify God. So when we give our word to someone that we're going to do something outside of the church walls, God still expects us to keep our promises, to keep our vows. We vow a vow to God. Don't delay in paying it. God has no pleasure in that. He continues on and expands. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. This is what I think Jesus is getting at. Don't make some kind of a promise. Let your word be yes. Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. Here he says it's better that you not make a vow at all than that you vow and not paid. We think of Jephthah. Jephthah, the one who, who was the judge who promised God that the next thing that comes to my house, I'm going to sacrifice it. And then his daughter comes. I bet he would like to have taken back that vow. We know how that story goes. How he sacrificed his own daughter rather than... It would have been better if he'd not made that vow. It would have been better if he'd not made that vow. Verse 6. Let your mouth... Not uh, let not your mouth lead you into sin and uh, do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Isn't that the way we sometimes try to cover up whenever we make a promise we can't keep? What was a mistake? I, I didn't mean it. I was just kidding. God's not pleased with that. That's just an excuse. So oftentimes and sometimes things happen outside of our control which is why we shouldn't make a vow. We can't control the circumstances. If we just say it was a mistake, God is not pleased with that. He says, why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? God cares about what we say when we make a promise, even when we have no control over the events. He cares so much about our truthfulness, it is better Not to make any vow at all. And then verse 7. For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. That God is the one you must fear. Talk is cheap. But we must fear God. Now, how do we apply this? I think the big point... As God cares how we approach Him. We are not, as Colossians says, to approach Him with a man-made religion. We're not to approach Him with things that we think are good, but He's not revealed those things through His Word. This could be controversial. Controversial. Is it okay to innovate in, in our worship? And I think this text says no. We shouldn't innovate. I mean, the, the New Testament church, what did they focus in on worship? The New Testament church and in, in Acts chapter two, it tells us they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to prayer and fellowship. That's what we should be focused on the apostles teaching to prayer and 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 we in our churches so often create all kinds of new things again I don't want to be too judgmental (laughs) I mean even the Colossians passage says let no one pass judgment on you concerning these things because you don't participate in these these man-made religions But um, consider interpretive dance. What would the New Testament church say about that? I've got friends who ask, well, is there a youth minister in the New Testament? Well, he gives us two offices, pastor, elder, or deacon. Deacon. I don't see a youth minister. Now, does that mean that you can't have someone who fills one of those functions, pastor or deacon, and specializes in that? We can have that discussion. But I think out of that comes the, the concern we want to be biblical in the way we organize our churches because we want to be biblical in the way we approach God. You know, some denominations won't use instruments in their worship. This is what they're trying to obey. I don't want to pass judgment on that. This is what they're... They're they're guarding their steps when they approach God. Now, I may have disagreements about that. I I think they did use New Testament... musical instruments in the New Testament. I, I think there's evidence to show that. We can have a talk about that later if you disagree. Or some denominations, they only use, sing out of the psalms. They don't sing from any hymns or anything like that. They only sing the psalms because they don't want to innovate. They don't want to offer the sacrifice of fools. I'm not going to pass judgment on that either. They're trying to obey this text. Now, I think whenever Colossians tells us that later, singing a melody in your heart... Um, Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Uh, I think that's evidence that we can, but let each one be convinced in his own mind. And and a difference that I I, I observe, I've never had a conversation with any of you about it, but a a difference that I observe between my own denominational tradition and yours, I I see you ladies wearing the, the head coverings. You're trying to obey this text, and I commend you for that. We may come to different conclusions, but it is a good thing to guard your steps when you come to the house of God. I commend that. But ultimately, God has revealed how we are to approach him. And we are to approach him in no other way than through the blood of Jesus. John 14.6 tells us, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but by Me. All other man-made religions, be it religions of the philosophers, Buddhism, Hinduism, all of those other things are man-made religions. But in Jesus Christ, we have God who has become man. He has revealed Himself Himself to His creatures in the final expression in Jesus, in God becoming man and and He dwelled with us. He revealed the Father to us. He came and He was the way. He was not just a good teacher who pointed us to the way. He was the way. He died upon a cross and He says if we look to Him like those who were in the wilderness who had to look up at the snake. If we look to Jesus, that is the way. That is how we approach Him. Those Old Testament teachings on, on uh, the, the sacrificial system, on, on how the God, God uh, struck dead Nadab and Abihu for approaching Him in another way than that which He designed They tell us there is no other way to God except through the way that He is revealed in Jesus Christ. And regardless of our um, convictions about how we are to approach Him in worship, can we sing these songs or not? Ultimately... We can boldly approach the throne because we have a great high priest, Jesus, who is interceding for us before the Father. We come not in our own righteousness, not in our own goodness, not even on our own obedience, but upon the obedience and the righteousness and goodness of Jesus Christ. I heard a preacher tell a story that I think fits with this. There was a king and there was a little boy who told the king he wanted to go pick some flowers for him. So the little boy went out to the field and he was picking weeds. And the the king looked out the window and he saw that the little boy was picking weeds And he didn't say anything to the little boy, but he he said to his son, go out there, and I want you to pick the kind of flowers that you know will please me. And so the the son went out, and he he went with the little boy, and he was picking the kind of flowers that would, would please the king. And as they walked in, just at the very end, the son gives the little boy the bouquet of flowers that would please the king and said, give this to my father. And the king was pleased. Our righteousness, our goodness, our even our obedience is as filthy rags. The only way that we can approach God is through the righteousness of Jesus when we are clothed with His righteousness when we bring the flowers that He's given us. We are to guard our steps when we approach God, when we come to the house of God. And above all things, that means that we come through Jesus alone.